Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Blender Report, where news meets rational thinking. I'm your host, Jonathan Harvey. This is your co-host, Liam DeBoer. Liam, what's up? Not too much, brother. Uh, Today, we will cover the Devils in Davos. So a couple different stories coming out of the WEF Summit are the Disease X and the WHO, uh, WHO's Pandemic Treaty, as well as uh, Jojo Mahata calls for fishing and farming ecocide and must be criminalized with uh, as well with Javier Malay scolding socialism and collectivism on the stage in front of the World Economic Forum. And we'll also start off here with uh, Jordan Peterson being told that he must undergo re-education for his social media training and his political views. So uh, before we get into that, though, if you wouldn't mind heading over to our website, blendernews.com, B-L-E-N-D-R news.com, and signing up for our newsletter, that would be much appreciated. And let's get into things. First off, we've got Jordan Peterson sentenced to re-education. So renowned Canadian psychologist and author Jordan Peterson has lost his appeal against the College of Psychologists of Ontario, which mandated him to undergo remedial social media training. The Ontario Court of Appeal dismissed Peterson's motion without providing reasons, prompting concerns about the implications for free speech. So my thought here is with the institutions attacking Peterson. It seems like they're trying to send a message of if we can silence and punish Jordan Peterson, consider what we can do to you. Uh, What's your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, this is interesting, right? Like, I know that within organizations, there's sort of a code of conduct you have to follow. So I know, like, that there's going to be a little more flexibility within their, within their own kind of under their umbrella to say, Hey, you got to do these things. You can't do this, that, whatever. And I guess, because it will harm the, uh, harm the association. And I guess you think about stuff like that. Like if you think about medical, right? If you, if it, like, if you had fall under some sort of malpractice suit or something, or you're, you know, doing medicine here that you shouldn't be like, you know, stem cells or something. Um, but if you do, like you can lose your license because it really does hurt the association. So I understand the need to have some sort of uh, flexibility or additional set of rules that you have to be held to like accounting, the same thing, right? Like, so, so, so this makes sense, but when it comes to stifling free speech, I really feel like you can't put something into place after the fact. And that is what I mean is like, when you think about the whole vaccine thing, I wholeheartedly disagree with telling someone they have to be vaccinated to work for you. I think that is absolutely mental, but if you were to allow something like that in a corporate culture, you could, it would have to be like, um, it couldn't be retroactive. You couldn't be like, well, you've been here five years, but if you don't get a vaccine, you lose your job. That is, that is so offside, right? And I feel like it's the same with this. There's no clear language within their organization that says what he did was wrong. So I feel like there's no case here. So what, so what they're basing the case on is there was complaints submitted. So essentially what you're talking about is true. You know, the the whole licensing aspect is you want to make sure that if you're going to somebody that has a license to say that they will practice whatever it be, whether it's medicine or psychology, um, that they have the proper understanding and the ability to carry out uh, that their their procedures properly. Yeah, to a certain, like, you have to hold it to a certain expectation. I'm good with that. So, but what they've done is part of the rule with that, if they want to, say, take away somebody's license, is they there has to be instances of them harming their patients, right? right? But 
what the Ontario Psychologist Board is basing this on is complaints made about things he has said on Twitter Mm -hmm. from none of which, which were his patients. Right. So, and, and, you know, this is something like I've recently gone through some shit and obviously not at this level, but recently gone through some shit with people lashing out at me for things that my opinions I've said on social media. Sure. Um, but to me, part of it is, okay, if the idea is you're not supposed to cause harm to others, well, if all it takes is for that person to not go on your social media page or to block you or to mute you, whatever it be, if, if that little one action can remove all harm, they have no case. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think there's sort of this new ground that we have to discover and work through, and I think that's why things like this happen. Now, I wholeheartedly disagree with their decision. I think Jordan Peterson should be able to say whatever he wants um, if he's not harming anybody, that any of his patients. Like, I, I, I think this is ridiculous. I just want to kind of get that out of the way. Um, but this is interesting, though, right? Because you've got this, you've got the ability to, if, if you become successful or, or viral on social media, you have the ability to affect a lot of people outside of your direct contact, right? Your, your direct patients. So how do they navigate this, though, in the sense where it's like, you know, you had doctors through COVID. And now COVID's interesting, right? Because the doctors through COVID that were saying, hey, the vaccines are bad. Hey, these pandemic restrictions don't make sense. Hey, the science is wrong. Hey, they're not giving us all the data. And these people were ostracized and losing their licenses. The thing is, they were actually right. This is why this becomes such a gray area because you do have to start navigating your way through this sort of these murky waters on like, hey, you've got your association where all these doctors and psychologists and, you know, accountants live. And then you've got this, this social sphere where if they become successful, their voices, they're, they're megaphones. So then it, how do you mitigate what they're allowed to say and what they're not? Should you have any control over that whatsoever? And this is why I think this is, this is sort of an uncharted territory. And when we did see them work on this through COVID, all we saw was that they totally fucked it up. And I think they're fucking it up again here. So, um, you know, I think it's something that needs to be managed or figured out, but so far they're 0 for 2 and probably more. Those are just the ones I know of. So yeah, I'm a free speech absolutist in the sense where the potential consequences of over-restricting speech, I think are far greater than allowing what would be potentially harmful speech. Okay, but let me ask you this. I totally agree with you, right? I totally agree with you. Now, what do you do though, if you actually have an instance, I haven't seen this, but this is why I'm saying somehow there needs to be some system in place and they do need to navigate this. So what would you do if you had, uh, okay, for example, um, a hard left-wing psychologist that was out there promoting gender transitioning, which there probably is, you know, um, but they were pushing it, pushing it, like, oh, everyone could be their own this or that or whatever, and everybody should change, everybody, you should just go out and try it out. Now, in my opinion, and if you're being logical, that's pretty harmful. So if the world was seeing things the right way in terms of the media and, and just sort of this, if, if we weren't under this weird liberal ideology, that would be harmful, right? If you had some psychologist out there preaching to your 15-year-old on social media, you, you think you're a boy, but you're a girl. You need to change things up. You need to go to your parents. Fuck your parents. You need to go to your teacher. You need to tell them everything's different. You need to come to me, and I'm going to give you those meds. Now, if something, that, if something like that happened, you know, what would the recourse be? Because I think that there should be something in the way to stop that. Because that is actually, that is harmful and that's wildly inappropriate. So I think it's as soon as you cross that line into an actual action, an actual result that you are directly responsible for. So there's indirect results that can happen from speech. So if you say, hey, I think kids should get this surgery or whatever it be, 
I actually think you have every right to have that opinion. If then you start practicing and putting those kids through transition and it causes a great deal of harm to them, sure. now you're, you're indefinitely responsible. The same thing with his speech, because this is something that I've even seen tossed at people all the time, which is, well, your speech would incite people to have bad views about whichever group, which could lead to hate, which could then lead to actual physical violence. But I don't think you can actually justify that argument because responsibility has to fall on the individuals that are carrying out the actions. So for instance, a great example of this is the man who shot John Lennon said he was inspired to do so by the book Catcher in the Rye. Do you hold the author of Catcher in the Rye responsible for... That's interpretation. So yeah, I know what you're saying. When it, when it falls under interpretation, I understand that. Because then you could blame anybody for anything, right? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, interpretation is essentially opinion, right? So you get into this really... Mer- this is like, again, this is why I just don't think this is so clear cut. I don't... Like my example of saying, you know, this hard left psychologist that I think is harming children, a lot of people might go, no, actually, that's fine for me. So I get the argument for saying, hey, free speech is important. They should be able to say what they want. And then with the stuff with Jordan Peterson, you and I are going, this is fucking wild. He should be able to say whatever he wants about our government. They're fucking tyrannical. So, you know, I don't know that there's right or wrong in in a lot of it. All I'm saying is I understand that there needs to be some, they need to address this in some way. Because if you don't, you it is going to spiral a little bit out of control but in why some do they, fashion. Why do they need to address Peterson? I'm not saying they need to address Peterson and I'm not saying they need to address the make-believe person I made up for the psycho, like the mm-hmm. psychological child thing either. What I'm saying is I can see this going down a road that it becomes one of those issues. Or for example, here's a, here's one that I, I'll try this one on. So let's say you have a doctor that's practicing in Canada with a Canadian license and they're out there promoting um, things that are illegal here, but are legal other places. Like I said, like gene editing or stem cells. I've done both of these things, right? So, but I've just had to leave the country to do them. Now, What do you do if you've got a doctor that's got a uh, Canadian or Ontario license and they're there promoting these other things, you know, and then people are going, and let's just say like, I've done stem cells. I know they're very safe and I've done these. I know that they're safe. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like a ton of studies supporting them, but let's say you're, they're promoting something that's not legal here and then they're doing it somewhere else. And then harm starts happening to those patients. But now you're in a weird area, right? Because they're not practicing here in Canada. So how should, why should it affect their license? But they're using their social platform here to affect Canadians somewhere else. So then I ask you the question again, does that fall under something that needs to be regulated? It, maybe it doesn't, maybe it does, but I just feel like there's, there's all these opportunities for people that have a massive voice online to sort of get themselves into these, these positions while working under organizations that have a different set of rules because they're held to a different standard. That's kind of my point. So I don't know what yeah, you're no, about. No, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. I, I don't think that there should be any regulation on that sort of thing because at the end of the day, you know, I think I definitely fall under the idea of radical individual responsibility. Um, so at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you're going to have a bunch of different people all the time putting out opinions or uh, suggestions on things that aren't good for you. You know, you right, can even look sure. at... Oh God, yeah. Look at the health and fitness industry. Jesus Christ. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, but it, everything has to come down to that you the individual looking at the situation, the, to- the totality of a situation and making up your own mind and judgments on what is best for you. And I actually think it's what ends up happening is it becomes more dangerous when 
we start regulating things like this. So let's take the FDA, for instance. Obviously, this is a different scenario than speech. Sorry, just be, I'm going to let you finish, but I'm not saying we have to oppress anybody or shut them down. I'm saying we need a set of rules. Even if the rules are, you can say whatever the fuck you want. We need something to guide what is happening in these, uh, these organizations. Yes. That's, but yeah. sorry, finish your point. But yeah. I agree with you. Um, so what I was going to say is you kind of get this illusion of authority in a sense where like people think, well, if the FDA tells me I can do this then it's, it's safe, it's right. for sure safe. Right. And then, they, and then they just turn off these mental, like any of their thinking faculties of their critical thinking ability. And they just go, well, yeah, the, the authority figures said, right. it, said it was good for me. Right. When, and then you see that, yeah, they pull 25% of FDA approved for products sure. off of the shelves because they end up being extremely harmful. Then I sit here and go, yeah, I think that idea of these people are the arbiters of truth. Yeah. And they have everyone's best intentions in mind. I think that is a far more dangerous idea than having, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. To, to, to that point, I actually think the FDA is a lot more dangerous than individuals like Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. But, but, but to, that, to that same point, people do... When we're going through life, our goal is to progress and get better. That's, that's what we do. And in doing that, we are going to make mistakes. I'm going to suggest things that are going to be a bit of a miss. Not because I have bad intentions, but because it was a mistake or the data or w w for whatever reason. Now, for people that blindly trust me, which I don't think there are many, and I hope they're not. I hope people challenge what I say. But for those people that maybe blindly trust Jordan Peterson or the woman I made up who's trying to convince your children to trans gender transition, you know, or, or the doctor that's saying, go get these, these experimental treatments in other countries. <clears throat> Sorry, when you, when you look at these things, I feel like you have to say, well, people trust them the same way they trust the FDA. And we don't want to fall under the same, we don't want to have the same problem that we have with the FDA, which is, holy Christ, they're full of shit. People put their blinders on, then they get harmed. So again, all I'm seeing is, I, I see both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. If it were totally up to me, honestly, I'm the same as you, where I go, hey, Ultimate personal responsibility. This isn't on anybody else but you. You take things in, you have to decide if it's going to fit. But that's that. But I also realize that most people aren't like us. I think a lot of our listeners are. I think a lot of people that, that pay attention to us will take personal responsibility. Otherwise, they probably don't listen to us because they don't want to hear what we have to say. That's hard to hear if you're not that guy. But I also know a lot of people don't have the capacity. You know, they do lean on people. They do lean on experts in their field to help guide them. So, again, I, ju I just see both sides. And I, I don't know the answer um, I would definitely, if it were up to me, lean towards, hey, make it so that you can do whatever you want. They're, they're separate things. But, but I, I understand the need to try to find their way through this and put some sort of solution in place because I can see how it can affect a lot of people. That's all. Unless somebody <laughs> has an actual mental disability or, say, an IQ level that renders them what used to be the... <laughs> um, then the, I think in that case people are actually far more capable than we give them credit for. Okay, in I discerning. just want to stop you for a second. In Taiwan, they had elections, right? Mm -hmm. You know what they were doing for the elections for showing up? They were giving out candies. Do you know how many people ate fucking detergent pods? So let me explain why I think this is. So <laughs> I think our public school system, largely that's been adopted across the globe, yeah. is entirely set to make us not think uh, I think it's actually meant to instill behavioral traits. For and sure. there's a great 
Um, he was the New York City public school teacher in 89, 90, and 91, or sorry, the public school teacher of the year in 89, 90, and 91. And he wrote a book called Dumbing Us Down, and he's got a couple others that are really great. I'd highly suggest go reading it. Who is this? Uh, John Taylor Gatto. And he, his whole thing was essentially, you know, I am in here to make these kids not think they're supposed to just shut up, listen to authority. I am telling them what subjects are worth uh, learning. Right. Um, you know, if they have their own opinions on a subject, that's not, nope, nope, we don't think about that here. Uh, I also teach them confusion that no one topic is is worth dedicating your entire time to. As soon as you get into the groove of something, a bell goes off and tells you to go completely shift your mind into right. a different topic. Yep don't actually end up getting like they teach confusion in that aspect. And then if you really want to go deep in, in, into it, you look at who started the public school system. So Horace Mann uh, was a American and he's known as the father of the public school system. And he was in a America in uh, the 1830s. And he went and visited Prussia, which had a factory schooling system, mm -hmm. which aimed to make their students more, uh, either turn them into factory workers or, um, military men. Right. And then Rockefeller ended up sinking hundreds of millions of dollars into creating the public school system because he saw it as a benefit to creating an army. Of, yeah. You create a workforce. Yeah. It was through the industrial revolution, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of a long winded way to say that I actually think those people are capable of thinking to the degree and critically to be able to discern for themselves what is the best path to take or what what is the right thing to do or sure. who, who are the right people to listen to. But you almost have to do unschooling first. And I think that's one of those things where this is where it leads into is it's like, I don't think it's a base nature aspect that they can't grasp these complex topics or ideas. They're just told not to. Well, I think I don't disagree with you. I just think what's the average IQ about 95 to hundred. Uh, I think it's over that it's, it's over a hundred. Is it? Okay. So uh, let's call it a hundred. I think it's around there. That means half the people you walk by every day have an IQ less than a hundred. Okay. Right? So I, in, in some ways I have to disagree with you. And I, th I don't think everyone's got the capacity to pick all these things up. Um, and then the other thing is when you've been conditioned your whole life that way, you've been trained. It's very, very hard. The older you are, it's hard to untrain. It's hard to change. It's hard to maneuver and manipulate. Like, like for example, your parents, my parents, they trust the medical system. They trust now. Finally, my dad stop does not trust the media as much anymore. You know, but like they trust all these institutions that people our age that have access to to up-to-date information that are challenging all these things because we use a different set of means and we're younger. So our brains are a little different. You go through these phases when you're younger, you're a lot more creative and your mind is just developing a lot more when you're younger. And then when you're older, the creativity sort of dies down and you become more of a, a wisdom based, um, you know, user of your brain. That's just how it works. So I butchered that, but it's true. <laughs> anyway, my point is you look at, you look at that generation, how are they going to challenge those things when their whole lives they've been, they've been um, sort of bred to follow this system and trust these organizations. So it's tough. Like, I don't disagree that people need to take personal responsibility. I'm just saying, I don't think everybody's got the same capacity as you to do so. So I understand why we have to put these safeguards in place. Like, remember when Trump said some shit about drinking Drano for fucking COVID to clean your body? And people fucking did it. People took things, like, people were taking stuff that they used to clean their fish tanks. 
Like, hey, man, sorry, but like natural selection, you're fucking, you're bottom of the, you're bottom of the barrel. You know what I mean? So people are going to do this dumb shit. Now, again, do we have to squash free speech for this? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. All I'm saying is they got to put some system in place so we have an understanding of how this works so this fiasco stops. Because what's happening is right now, because there's no system in place, they are just using it as a weapon, right? They go, well, we don't like what Jordan Peterson is saying because it goes against the narrative. But if it went with the narrative, even if it was harmful, like my example of the woman trying to convince children to, to transition their gender, they, you see what I mean? Like, because there's no standard in place, they're not going after the woman who's saying crazy shit to your kids. They're only going after Jordan Peterson for challenging the government. So it actually helps everybody if there's some system in place, whether that is we have to do something or we do nothing, but we need to, you know. Who puts in that system though? Again, this is why it's challenging. I think all these, especially, it really depends like who's in charge at the time, right? Because if you've got a conservative leaning government in place based on where things are at today, um, they'll lean a lot more towards free speech. But if it happens, well, it's under this liberal umbrella, which is most likely because most of these educated groups now are, are believe in this liberal ideology. That's what it'll be based on, which is super fucking dangerous. I agree with you. So, I mean, look, I think this is one of those things that there's probably no real good answer in the short term, but it's going to be an ongoing problem and it's going to be weaponized against uh, dissent. Yeah. And actually, one thing I do want to just highlight there, because about how you were saying how if it was a conservative government, they'd lean a little bit more towards free speech. I think the two sides of the aisle are just as likely to infringe on free speech as one of another. One another. Okay. What I think discerns whether they do that or not is whether they have the cultural power, the majority support to do so. Because even if you go back a couple decades, you can see the Dixie Chicks getting canceled for, I believe it was talking about, uh, talking shittily about America's foreign policy. You look at Marilyn Manson trying to get canceled by the church, pro protesting all of this kind of stuff, their free expression. Lenny Bruce, the comedian back in the yeah. 1950s, getting locked up great. for using profanity on stage. So you look at this and you go, the traditional conservatives, per se, have very much been just as heavy-handed to censor or to attack speech that they don't like yep. in the past. And so I don't think it's necessarily that free speech, that the people who value free speech are either conservatives or liberals, because, you know, back in those days, it was the liberals championing free, right. free speech. Of course. I think it's the subdominant group or the less dominant group in society that ends up championing free speech because censorship laws always get used yeah, against I hear them by saying. the dominant party. I hear what you're saying. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I should sort of correct myself. I guess if I'm looking at it through the lens of today, I would suggest that conservatives would go more For towards sure. free speech. For sure. But at the same time, look, there were still people trying to cancel. Like, if you see what's happening right now between the Israel-Palestine thing, you're looking at a lot of the Republicans trying yeah. to cancel their ability to speak freely and say what they want, especially at Harvard and stuff. Look, I disagree with a lot of what they're saying, especially anything harmful. Like, I just think that's not the answer. But the Republican answer is cancel them quiet to like silence their speech it's like look no i agree it's it's all it's all it's all a bit of nonsense but you know what that just adds one more layer of complexity to this issue which does need to fucking be resolved in some fashion yeah so, yeah anyway. i think the funny aspect with that with uh you know you look at say libertarians per se which i think a lot of our uh takes on things falls into it's like 
libertarians often get confused with conservatives these days because they champion a lot of the same values, but it's like libertarians in the 1980s would have been thought of as liberals. Right. So it's like, it's, they're kind of just on whichever is the, they're the most stable. They're like, they're (laughs) just like, no, leave us alone. No authoritarianism. Leave us the fuck alone. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So speaking of authoritarianism, Let's uh, get into some World Economic Forum coverage. Uh, So Disease X in the WHO Pandemic Treaty. In an address at the World Economic Forum in Davos, the Director General of the World Health Organization emphasized the necessity of global cooperation in facing future pandemics, expressing concerns that, quote-unquote, national interests could impede collaboration. During the session, titled, quote-unquote, Disease X, Uh, The director stressed the importance of adopting the WHO's pandemic agreement on a global scale to, quote unquote, better prepare and understand disease X. What's your uh, what's your thoughts with their forecasting of another pandemic already? What are the the odds that we come out of one (laughs) pandemic and within another year, we're already preparing for another to another? Yeah, this is kind of funny. So I did a little research on disease X. Um, Not much, just just enough to be like, oh, this is bullshit. So. This whole um, Disease X conversation started in 2018 when they started this R&D program to build against unknown viruses. So this is in 2018. Coincidentally, a year later, we have a virus come out of a lab in China due to gain-of-function research that the United States was, was funding. And then somehow, all these American pharma companies brought to market in less than a year. It's a coincidence. I'm sure it's a coincidence. I just find it a little odd that, you know, this whole conversation started before the pandemic, and then we had a pandemic, and now they're pushing it saying, we need to be prepared for the next pandemic. Mm -hmm. And you actually can look back, I can't remember the name of the conference, but if you do a little bit of Googling, you'll be able to find it very easily, was there was a conference held about a year before COVID, the outbreak, and it was the uh, China's uh, health organization, the WHO, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the um, the NIH, all of this kind of stuff, all of these groups, they all had a meeting about how they would respond to a COVID pandemic. What should the media taglines be? All of this kind of stuff. Essentially, it was just a plan of how are we going right. to do this? And then, oddly enough, about a year into COVID, they did another one for monkeypox. And remember when they tried to make monkeypox a thing and pretty Absolutely. much people were just like, nope, fuck off. Not having nope, it. Nope, not having it. Dude, it is crazy when you look at this and you go, that's, I mean, I, I think about, uh, there's a great scene in the dark, I think it's the, no, it's uh, Dark Knight Rises, the last last Batman movie where um, Robin or Jordan, uh, Gordon Joseph Levitt's character goes up to uh, Commissioner Gordon and he says, oh, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. For, uh, Gordon says, you're a detective now, you're not allowed to believe in coincidences. And it's like, the chances of these things being coincidences are nil. Zero. Like, it's wild. And, and you know, to the, to the point, to our, like, the Disease X and WHO uh, pandemic treaty thing, look, they're trying to get all these countries, we've had this conversation, they're trying to get all these countries on board to toe the line for what they say is necessary to manage a pandemic. But we know that every country's situation is different. It's different and, and you know why we know this? Because diseases affect different people in the world very differently. Like they said, COVID was really hard on people with any Neanderthal genes. It's, it's just facts now, right? So they, had, they also said that it was harder on people that were of different race, different color, different wherever. So even if you just take that into consideration, a disease that might be harmful in South America might not be nearly as harmful in the United Kingdom. 
You know what I mean? Okay, so you already know that there's going to be differences in how the population manages it. It could thrive in cold weather and not in warm weather or vice versa. So what happens if it's winter, you know, in the, in the Northern Hemisphere, everything's fucking cold. So what, what are we doing? Why are we following the same set of rules? It's just, it's a totalitarian tool. It's a measure they're putting into place so that these other countries can use it as a filter to control their own populace any way they want. And this is why that fucking psychopath Trudeau is trying to get climate change put under this treaty. So to me, this whole thing is, you know what I find funny that their the theme this year at the WEF is rebuild trust. And this is the kind of shit they do. Yeah, like, and on. there was that clip with Klaus Schwab too, where an, inter an interviewer asked him, why do you think people have lost trust in social institutions and the government? And Schwab said, because that we're entering an era of, like I'm paraphrasing here, but the, uh, but he said, we're entering an era of like selfishness where people are only thinking of themselves. They're no longer thinking of the greater global community and all this shit. And you're just like, really, that's your answer for like, why are, why don't people trust you anymore? And it's like, cause they're thinking about themselves. And it's like, nothing it doesn't have anything to do with you guys getting every single aspect over the last three or four years wrong yeah like you guys have to constantly recant things on whether it be the lab leak theory the effectiveness of the this experimental medication of the lockdowns of how there was no science to back the concept of six feet separating about how useless masks were Travel mandates didn't fucking work at all either. They admitted that recently. They're like, oh, maybe that was a little heavy-handed. So <laughs> okay. you guys got every single thing possible on the most important things, and all of the things you got wrong not only weren't just, like, inconsequential. You ruined businesses. You ruined lives. You ruined families. You ruined friendships. All of this shit. You killed a lot of people. Actually, you killed a lot of people. Yeah. Not just from the but you killed a lot of people from and that all these just other got us taken off of YouTube. Yeah, what? <laughs> what? Just leave it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. You guys will figure that out. But that's the, that's the problem. Like they they this is this has been harmful across the board. I really agree with your point there. Everything they did was wrong. It's not just about using this as a totalitarian measure. It's if you look at the track record of how they just managed this, they fucked it up worse than everybody. Like literally, they batted zero for a hundred. Mm -hmm. Like what are we doing here? What are Man. we doing here? Man, and when you look at this and you go, okay, I want to rebuild trust with somebody, whether, take the World Economic Forum out of it, let's just look at interpersonal relationships for a minute. If you want to rebuild trust, the only way to do that is to sit down and actually look whoever it is that you're having an issue with face-to-face -face and own up to the things that you have been falling short on. And actually it ends up, you know, you can sit there, like let's take, say for instance, uh, a marriage or a, sure. a relationship between two people. Often the idea is, is I want to make it seem like you've done worse to cause this problem than I did. Of course. So you're, you're more responsible for it. But man, and I, I've just been new to learn, <laughs> learning this aspect of it. But if you sit down and you don't even touch that person what that person has done in the scenario but you just sit down and go hey i'm really sorry for how i i talked to you there or i was wrong on this aspect and i should have listened to you a little bit deeper or whatever it be that person now instantly guard down and does the exact same thing back of course and so you know if they if going back to the wef if they actually sat down and said hey you know we got some things wrong here and we're like no apology can really actually undo what we have done, but here's the steps that we're going to take to make sure something like that never happens again. 
I mean, obviously they won't do that because no, they're fucking but, tyrants. Yes. But if you want to rebuild trust, that is the only path to doing so. I totally agree. And then the thing is they could say, hey, look, we know we made some mistakes here. We're going to broaden our horizons. And we're going to include different groups from a more, a more a more practical group of people across industry to make these decisions so that we know how other people are being affected. Instead, they're going, we still know what's best. No, you don't. So, I mean, for me, it's just, I don't know, this whole, this whole WEF conference thing. I don't understand. Like, it's interesting that it's getting more coverage these days. It's good. I just still don't understand how they're able to frame themselves as doing anything decent whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the uh, going on to somebody that uh, is not trying to frame them as doing them decent, but talked at their meetings is the Argentinian president, Javier Malay. And he gave a speech recently at the World Economic Forum where the libertarians scolded the ideologies of socialism and collectivism. Funny enough, these are the same very ideologies that the attendees at Davos adopt in sharing their vision of how they would like to reorganize the world. So part of what he said, uh, it was actually a 21-minute speech, so nice. I'd, I'd implore anybody to go listen to that on, uh, there's, it's all over Twitter, but a little, little uh, excerpt from his speech is, Today I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. It is in danger because those who are supposed to have defended the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inextricably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others and others motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged class, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We're here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world, but rather they are the cause. So what was your thoughts on Javier Malay standing up there? I'm such a big fan of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really have much, like, I don't have a lot of bad things to say. Uh, and I just kind of agree with him. I know I like, usually I like to share a relatively deep opinion or just some nonsense, but like, hey, what he's doing in Argentina makes sense. I know it's going to be hard for the first little while, but he's making the right adjustments to try to fix things, you know. And, and, and honestly, I appreciate the guy's balls to get up in front of these people and be like, hey, in a kind of in a subtle way, I was just getting up there and saying everything you guys represent and everything you're doing is wrong. You I know? wish, dude, I wish he went off like he does in the interviews and just been like, you're a bunch of fucking leftish shit. <laughs> well, the pro the pro so I, it would have been funny, but here's the thing. It's like that, it's like that wild guy talking through COVID, freaking out and screaming yeah. and yelling at some minimum wage worker in a store because he's got to put a mask on. It's yeah. like, you lose all credibility, bro. Yeah, for and sure. And they just eviscerate him, <laughs> yeah. right? So, hey, be diplomatic when you have yeah. to be diplomatic. Just beat them at their own game. Yeah. In my opinion, that's exactly what he did. So yeah. let's go. And you know, one of the coolest things about him doing this, because a lot of people... Especially, you know, there's, and this is why I can never get fully on board with like the conspiracy theory community, quote unquote, is because I find they go too far. So for instance, for they'll, sure. they'll, they'll be like, oh, Javier Malay is controlled opposition. And then they, as soon as he got announced it talking at the World Economic Forum, it was, oh, see, he's just like them. And then he goes up and he talks a bunch of shit about their policies. And then they go, well, he didn't go hard enough. He was trying to hold back. And then, but... Dude, one of the things that's kind of flown under the radar here with him is he flew to Davos on his own dime and went economy. Nice. So, and it's like, tell me a leader of a, like any country Bro, in the he's world. Walking, he's, he's walking the walk. Yeah. It's great. It's good to see, right? But I think, here's the thing. I think you have to. This is why, this is sometimes why I think about getting into politics is because I'm the same way and I'm not trying to pump, like, pump my tires or pat myself on the back. I don't have all the same views as him. I know that I would approach this country differently. 
But that's the kind of shit that I would do. I know that they say, oh, you can't do that in Canada. Well, actually, I probably wouldn't need a security team because I'm not a fuck face like Trudeau. Plus, I can defend myself pretty well. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, you know, it's you have to do those things. You have to you really have to you have to believe in what you're trying to employ at scale or else you're just uh, just another fucking chill in government trying to make their money and do whatever they need to do for the guys that put you in place. And obviously he wasn't put there by anybody. No, like that country was so fucked up that I can't imagine that there's anybody that even wanted to fund the guy's campaign to get him there. You know what I mean? I know things are a little different here, but yeah, really give the guy credit because like, you know, it reminds me of um, Jack Layton, you know, as an NDP, not a big supporter of uh, the NDP party by any means, but Jack Layton really was, he really, he was that guy. He was the guy that, you know, and I don't mean to sound rude when I say this, but he was the guy wearing, you know, a used or economy suit. He was the guy driving a Tercel. He was the guy making sure everyone else around him had everything. And he he really did live in that space where Jagmeet Singh is wearing a $10,000 suit, wearing a $20,000 watch and driving a brand new wearing BMW. Versace bags yeah, you, you know what I mean? And, and look, <laughs> hey, to each their own. But you look at it and you kind of go, I put my money on Leighton over Singh all day. And that's why the party did well. And for me, Malay is a, a much bigger version of the same thing. And I think it's good to see. Well, I think what you're talking about there can be wrapped up by a thought of Epictetus, who was one of the Stoic philosophers in ancient Rome. I was going to tell I love how much philosophy you have and how much knowledge you have about this shit. Like, it just triggers these parts of your mind that I don't have, and I love that about you. So, Please, go uh, ahead. Epictetus said, don't preach your philosophy, embody it. And it goes to the same idea. I was actually talking to Lewis, one of the new reporters that we've brought on board uh, for, for Blender recently, but I was talking to him yesterday, and he's a... Uh, He's a Christian. We were talking. I was talking about how a lot of these things overlap, and to me, it's just language differences. Like right. I don't think it's that say Christianity came to this this specific belief. They've just found their own way to package the idea. But there was also the concept, like the uh, "don't take God's name in vain," right? Is what they say. A lot of people think that means, oh, don't say, oh, like Jesus Christ, like don't use the God or Christ's name negatively. Sure. What they actually mean by don't take God's name in vain is don't per portray yourself as moral. Don't pray in public spaces. Don't, uh, don't, be, don't show your reverence to God in an effect that you want to get attention get or have people think that, oh, look at that person. They're so good. Right. So, and, and that's the whole, that's that whole concept. And this is, that's where it is. Like with, with Javier Malay, I think he's embodying all of those ideals very well as to just like, yeah, like you're saying, walk in the walk because, you know, I, I won't, uh, I won't out them, but we were talking about how there was a, a media organization that talks about, uh, talks poorly about tyrants and kind of heard an inside story recently about how they treat some of their staff and how insanely tyrannical they are behind closed doors. And to me, I'm like, what fucking leg do you think you have to stand on to sit here and shout down the tyrants on the world stage and then turn around and be tyrannical to everyone in your life? Yeah, it's, 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 that, it's that like hypocrisy, right? Like I truly, in my life, I try my best not to be that person ever. And if I ever catch myself doing it, I'm very quick to be like, okay, whoa, you need to check yourself. That's a big personal problem if that's how you behave. But yeah, you know what? Like to your point earlier, there is just going to be shitty extremes on both sides. You know what I mean? And you get these people like these, this organization where they sit, they, they, they're kind of on this soapbox, this moral high ground, you know what I mean? Where they, they feel like because they believe in this or they're doing, they're fighting this cause that they can behave this way and it's justified. It's all wrong. Yeah. You know, but 
Yep. All right. So the last topic from the WEF here is Jojo Mahata. I think it's Jojo Meta. That's what I'm calling oh, it. Oh, is it Jojo I don't Meta? Know. I just like, it sounds so tight. And I was like, because it's M E H T A. I was like, you're just, you're Jojo Meta. Yeah, maybe I'm, says, try, I'm trying to put yeah. too much culture on it. <laughs> but it's, it's a shame that she says shitty things because she's got a cool name if she says it the way I do. It's like, it's like that uh, Key and Peele sketch when he's sitting at the front reading all the names and he's like, we got an AA, Ron? <laughs> it's like, yeah, like run with it. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, so anyways, she is the co-founder and CEO of Stop Ecocide International. Uh, ca- uh, she casually drew parallels between the consequences of farming, fishing, and energy production to mass murder and torture. Her organization organization is uh, presently collaborating with diplomats, politicians, corporations, NGOs, and academics to promote the acknowledgement of such acts of ecocide as serious crimes. Uh, she said in her speech at the WEF, the concept is generally understood as mass damage and destruction of nature, but legally speaking, what our organization and other collaborators aim to do is to have this recognized legally as a serious crime. One of the issues that pervade all of this discussion is that we have a kind of culture, very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take damage to people and property. So she, her, her whole idea is, yeah, putting these practices of fishing and farming and agricultural, essentially what the foundations of modern civilization, actually it undoubtedly is the foundation of modern civilization, and she wants to call that genocidal, ecocide, whatever, uh, and start criminalizing people for it. Yeah, I mean, I find it absurd that they gave this whack job a platform to say such insane things. It doesn't make any sense. Like, like you said, it, it's fundamental to the survival of the human race. What are you talking about? Like, like, rebuild trust? What are you talking about? No more farming, no more food. No more fishing. All right, cool, like... What, what, and then they're going to call me, what am I, a speciest? Because I want humans to survive. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? How do you even, how, okay. My question to you is, how do you have a rational conversation with someone like this? What do you do? How do you say, because if I'm on the stage, I'm going to be like, are you, are you okay? Do you need a helmet? Like, are you okay? So <laughs> like, I don't know. How would you deal with it? Uh, probably about the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually just start actually bringing out, uh, slurs against yeah. the negative, <laughs> negative, uh, very negative connotations. I wouldn't even be as kind to just ask them if they need a helmet. I might forcefully strap it to them. Um, <laughs> but interesting note as well. And I, I'm not, I am not fat shaming at all, but you know, she is sitting here talking about limiting agriculture own food and she looks like she's had a lot of it. So <laughs> it's like, it's like, are you really the one to, uh, to be talking about this? Oh man. You know what? I tell you one thing that's good about this kind of shit is, you know, we know we need things to be extreme, right? It's that old theory. If things are bad, <clears throat> you'll put up with it. But if they're bad enough, you'll do something about it. If now these, these whack jobs are saying, hey, no more farming, no more fishing, no more food. There's a fuck. That's a, that is a very, very stark line. People have to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it's an international crime to grow food, well, obviously we need, there needs to be some form of revolution. I'm not saying it's got to be violent or anything like that, but we got to push back against this tyrannical shit because now they're telling us that if we grow food, we, we're going to be either imprisoned. So it's like you either go to jail or you die. But here's the thing. If they send you to jail, how are they going to feed you? Because there's no farming or fishing allowed. So what, what are we talking about? So I don't know. I'm hopeful that this type of wacko shit um, just gets, gets enough people riled up to do something. Because I, look, I know you and I, we spend a lot of our time 
um, providing alternative narratives or alternative ideas or just showing people what we think is really going on in the world. And that's kind of our way of saying, hey, we think things are bad enough. And, you know, having other people do that, I think, is great. You know, I think having a voice and getting out there and pushing back against this stuff, I think, is important. But I also think there's going to be another level to this where there's going to be some sort of mobilization against these groups. I don't know what that looks like, but things like this are what, what, what would fuel that type, of, that type of mobilization. So, you know, in a roundabout way, while it is absolutely psychotic, the silver lining is that it's probably going to rile up the people that we need to get a little upset to stop these fucking things from happening, right? Yeah. Well, and to put it into perspective as to what these people are currently trying to outlaw, so they have said that cattle is a massive issue and needs to be done away with uh, because they uh, of... Their farts are causing methane, which has been debunked time and time again. And so let's just think about what goes away with with no cattle. You all of a sudden lose all dairy as well. It's not just beef. Yeah. Um, And then and actually, you know what? There's there's actually some arguments to be made about how unethical dairy farming is. It's it's another level of fucked up. Um, But anyways, well, again, just to just to sort of qualify something, I don't promote like these shitty processes that we use to sort of farm and for agro. Like I know that, but the thing is like, I, I'm definitely more of a, Hey, by organic, you know, you want things to be treated well. Definitely. I know that part of the system's broken, but you can't cut it off. That's all. So, yeah. yeah. So they want to do away with cattle. They want to do away with uh, fish. They want to do, there was somebody talking at the WEF about how rice production is terrible for methane emissions. Uh, there was then, an entire as a quarter of the earth. Yeah. What are we talking about? Yeah, it's insane. And then also they're trying to outlaw nitrogen fertilizer, which that is again. the basis for for all of our yeah. modern agriculture. Yeah. And there again, there is some legitimacy to looking at alternatives to these kind of things because nitrogen, and I'm not going to pretend to be like an expert in this, but their perspective is that. The, and I've heard this, there was actually a guy on Joe Rogan that was talking about uh, this issue with the nitrogen fertilizer, about how it essentially kills all of the life in the topsoil. So that the, the actual earth itself, what you add the nitrogen to, is slowly becoming lifeless yeah. due to the nitrogen. Might have been Nitro- Guru. Uh, yeah, he was he might have about talked it. about he it as well. It. That's one of his big but things right there now. But there was actually a guy who owns a completely regenerative farming right. system right. down right. In, right. in America. Yeah. And, and, it was, and it was a very interesting listen. Um, but even he was, in, it, it, he was admitting the fact that, yeah, like my, my farm, it does great. We, we output a lot, of, a lot of food, a lot of products, but we can't keep up to the consistency and the output of industrialization. No, of course not. No, like, look, I, we know monocropping is not good. We know that you run a certain amount of cycles with your, with your soil before it's gone because of what we're doing. Look, I believe that there is an argument to be had saying, yeah, we need to improve our practices. We need to have better technology. We need to find more sustainable measures and put those in place. But when you start comparing farming and fishing and the word you use is, is a direct, you used it to try to compare it to genocide, because that's what the woman said. She used ecocide to be compared to genocide. You're going, you're so extreme. They're not here solving the problem. You're just creating an even bigger one in a different way. That is not how you solve these things, because I, I agree with you, but I also think there is a strong culture of people that are working to resolve the problems mm-hmm. that you just brought up that aren't whack job ladies on stage telling you that it should be an international crime to have rice and beef. 
Well, I think it I think it just comes down to the idea of innovation before implementation. Right. And this goes back to our same thing we were talking about last time with with uh, renewable with um, renewable energy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So get the technology there. Yes. And, and I mean, as for a couple of, I'm sure you and I are very similar on the ideas of free markets. It's like if the technology is there, if it's beneficial and if it's actually like cheap and plentiful, people will the, use it. They the want market. to. Nobody is here saying, no, we want to we want to burn the earth to the ground. That didn't make sense. You know what I mean? You know, we don't know, but nobody here wants the planet to come to an end. That's not, I mean, there's some psychopaths, but you know what I mean? By and large, but like you said, the technology's not there, but if you put the technology in place and it is better, people will definitely use it. This is not look. no one's on the other side of that issue. It's just that when you don't have the technology, you have these zealots screaming on stage saying you have to sacrifice your well-being because the technology's not there yet. It's like, why don't you just be a little more practical? You know what's really funny to me about this too is we like to think that we're so wise and intelligent compared to, say, a lot of what we would consider primitive civilizations in the past, whether that be the Mayans or the Egyptians or whatever it be. Sure. And we would look at them and go, oh my God, I can't believe that they were on top of this temple killing people, innocent people, to the sun lords, to the gods, to, to, to get favorable weather for the next crop season. That's barbaric. And then you look at this and you go... What do you think is going to be the outcome of no fossil fuels, of rapidly, rapidly interfering with farming and uh, fishing practices and yeah. all of this? It's like, you're going to kill Tons millions of upon millions upon millions of people. Yeah. And I go, tell me how you, I'm supposed to believe that you're wiser or more intelligent than the people that were just doing it on top of a thing, cutting hearts out. Yeah. Like you're like, <laughs> like Kali Ma. <laughs> Yo. Yeah. Sorry. Like, that's some, yeah. some Indiana Jones shit. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I, I agree with you. It's just this, this um, humans have this, this really negative characteristic where we think we know better. For some reason, the next generation always thinks they've got it figured out. And if you look through history, we never do. Yeah. You know, and there's one other thing that I think is interesting, and it's a little meta, so I don't mean to go kind of off too, too far off grid here. But like, I believe that there's sort of a, a very perfect natural order to things. If you just look at how the human body works, if you look at how we communicate with our environment and how we survive off of it, this thing, whoever built it, I'm no, I don't believe in God. I believe in some sort of like, you know, I believe in some sort of higher power. I don't know what it is, but I don't, I don't frame it as anything. You know what I mean? I just, I just think there's too many coincidences, but if you look at how everything integrates so perfectly, why do you think interfering with a system that's developed over billions of years? Why do you think you know better, especially when we haven't got anything figured out, you know, like our, our understanding of science and all these other things, it's rudimentary at best. You know what I mean? So I just get baffled by these people that think that they're the, they're not even just arbiters of truth, but like they know all like, I'm not sorry. You don't, you're here for a blip. You're here for 80 years. So you, you, you know, fuck all by comparison to what this universe has put together so that we can operate perfectly. And it, it just to sort of finish my point, a good example is this in medicine these days, I'm of the belief that we do a good job of proactive solutions, break an arm and we know how to put a cast on it to fix it, but we do a really bad job. Uh, I'm sorry, reactive solutions. We really do a really bad job of proactive solutions like the why are you getting in the way of something that's already perfectly built and knows how to manage itself within this environment? We already know that we get viruses and we get stronger because of them. So when you do these proactive things because you know better, all you're doing is fucking things up. Yeah. Right? So anyway. There was a great, uh, to, to your point, like every, George Orwell had a great quote. He said, every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. And it, we, it is just insane ego that we have. And also I wanted to touch on how you were talking about 
when people will get to the point where they start rising up against this. And I think you can go to a Star Trek quote for this. And it was, uh, I think it was one of the Klingons said to, he said, uh, yeah, Quark, let me tell you something about humans, nephew. They're a wonderful, friendly people as long as their bellies are full and their hollow suites are working, meaning like their houses. Yeah. But take away their creature comforts, deprive them of food, sleep, sonic showers, put their lives in jeopardy over an extended period of time, and those same friendly, intelligent, wonderful people will become as nasty and as violent as the most bloodthirsty Klingon. You don't believe me? Look at those faces, look in their eyes. And it's like, that's it's a hundred percent. Like people are only really great with each other until they're Shit hungry. Is the fan. Until they're hungry. Yep. And I mean, you can look at man, when you look at what happens through mass famines in places like the Soviet Union, yeah, it was bad. Through the North in North Korea, China, all of this kind of stuff. Like, I don't think people realize this. You know how even and I see even libertarians and stuff tossing this around. Do you know where the quote eat the rich comes from? Uh, I imagine I know but I obviously something to do with cannibalism. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like China, yeah. During the cultural revolution yeah. in China where 60 million people died. Yeah. They were literally campaigning on like, Oh, well we're hungry. Let's just, let's just eat, eat the, those. Let's just let's eat, eat the oppressors. Yeah. We'll eat the oppressors. Like that, that was, that's not a figurative statement. That's, that's where, a yeah. literal <laughs> yeah. statement. And yeah. so like every time somebody says that, I actually get so uneasy knowing that that was like, that's a reality. That's like, well, think about it this way. Like they say survival of the fittest, right? We have ancestors that have eaten each other. That's yeah. how we're here. We know we do. We know that humans, Neanderthals, all these other, we know like the hominid species across, we know they fucking ate each other. We know it's in us. It's pretty Man. dark, Man. but it's there. So it's like, that's how they, so for you and I to be sitting here at this table in this place on with these cameras, which is wild when you think about it, People had to be eaten other people. That's mm -hmm. how we got here. I know that's wild because there's a lot more to it. I totally get it. But that was part of the equation. So to think that you can put people in a situation where they're backed into a corner and they're not going to revert to some sort of instinctual practice. Hey, man, get your head out of your ass. It yep. will happen. Yeah. And, you know, these collectivist policies, man, the, this idea of sacrificing the individual for the greater good, like the, even whether it be individual freedoms for the greater good or any of these things, man, they have had just time and time again like i implore anybody to go read about what like firsthand accounts of what happens during these collectivist revolutions whether you want to call it communism or anything anything of that nature there's a great book called bloodlands by timothy snyder and it's all about the difference between uh hitler and stalin and it was it was about their kind of conflict and he talks about the famines in Europe and he actually brings in diary writings from people that were living through this famine. It's, I'm not a crier. Yeah. I was weeping into this book, man. You read, you read diary entries of a mother t crying essentially in her diary about how the fact that she just had to have a conversation with her kid today about if I die, like eat me, please Jesus. like live. Like, so sitting there going like, that's the space that you're at. And when you read that, you're just like, this is, this is dark. And, and it sounds hyperbolic again to say that you can reach that place, but that, that place, like you're talking about where that's where we came from. That's actually, mo that's the rule. Our civilization that we have is the exception. Agreed. So it's like, understand that it's not this idea that it's like, oh, that could never happen again. It's like what we have right now could possibly never happen again. So if, if we, if we do away with it, so like this idea, man, of just sacrificing modern civilization to hypothetically save the planet, 
Like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, it ends up in a really dark place. I agree. I think there's a lot of steps to get there before we do, but I think it's, I, I think it's a lot... Why it's, are they building the bunkers, yeah, John? It's true, it's true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's closer, it's much closer in reach than I think people believe. Or I, I think, you know, um, it could get there a lot faster than, than people mm -hmm. believe. You know what I mean? And I know that living in Canada... takes about three to five years. That's what I was going to say. Again. I know living in Canada, we'd probably be on the far end of the five years, you mm -hmm. know, just because it's obviously a developed world and there's a lot of things that would shake out first. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of dark times in history and for people to believe that we've got it all figured out now and this is the way it's going to be, it's just totally wrong. You know, because the problem is fundamentally humans are flawed. And the reason we know that is look at these idiots on stage in Davos. Just look at them. Like when you, when you think we've got it figured out, listen to these fucking idiots talk, mm -hmm. right? Look, yeah. I know I'm also a fucking idiot at times. I get it. I'm not perfect either. But when you're listening to the people that are trying to run the world and what they're trying to employ right now, look, this could go sideways very quickly, yeah. right? So, you know, I think it's good to be aware of that. Obviously, we hope for the best. But yeah, I think um, just understanding that this is a delicate balance is an important thing. Yeah. And I think this the WEF is a great example of the difference between intelligence and wisdom. Like, I think it, I think it was so, I could be wrong on who said it, but it was that uh, intellectuals are there to make the indefensible sound defensible. And it's like, you know, this, the, the most terrible ideas in human history have often been the propagated by the most intelligent in the societies. Right. And so, you know, I, I look at these people and I go, they don't have an ounce of wisdom in them. Like, and for anybody wondering what the difference is, the way that I look at it is knowledge is like tools. It's essentially raw information. Intelligence is the ability to use those tools. And wisdom is knowing what to use those tools for. Yeah. And I don't think they have that last bit at all. I agree. <sighs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, sorry. We probably won't brighten it up here before we leave you. That's probably it for today. But yeah, anything well. else you wanted to add? No, that's it, man. Just let's have a little hope, people. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.